Hail, hail. Good evening, folks, and welcome along to the latest episode of the Endless Selks podcast. Uh, my name's Anthony. I'll be in the host chair uh, tonight. Delighted to be joined by two of the show's regular contributors, uh, Stephen and Francis. How are you, boys? All good, my man. All good, buddy. I think we're all discussing off our, off our other... Just watched the best 45 minutes of the World Cup, like, so <laughs> feeling good. They're looking pretty decent, uh, the old Brazilians. Uh, they absolutely are. And uh, also, delighted to be joined, the uh, returning uh, guest of the show, a uh, good friend of ours from the Celtic blog, uh, the aptly named Mr James Forrest. How are you tonight, mate? I'm good, mate. Thank you very much for having me on. Not, not at all, mate. Any time. And you're, you're, uh, the, the, the Wi-Fi signal's looking pretty good to your end as well. <laughs> Hopefully we're no buffering our connection issues tonight. <laughs> and uh, welcome along, everybody, in the comments as well. And, and uh, everyone watching along, joining in. Of course, I think we all can say that Brazil are safely in the quarterfinals now. So turn off the World Cup now and we can get well into <laughs> a good hour's worth of and perhaps more of uh, some proper Celtic chat. Um, and thanks to our show sponsors as well, Beer 52. As I say, follow the link. And uh, I think, Stephen, you can still claim uh, a case yep. of free beer. If that's uh, case of free beer. You keep me right on that as well. And uh, before we came on here, I forgot to ask what the uh, the top is with the, the Super 6, but I'm assuming Franny's still about 50 points ahead of everybody, eh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I pretty much. I'm going to be honest. I like. 25. Yeah. Well, I've lost, well, lost access to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally so, forgot oh, to I... start um, doing entries when the World Cup started, so I've, I've fell way behind <laughs> again. So, But, um, yeah, you're doing, doing superb, Franny. Can I take it away for you, kid? <laughs> and uh, tonight, as I say, we, it was going to be um, another spin-off show tonight, like we've been doing throughout the World Cup. Um, we had originally planned this to be uh, a Champions League rewind night. We were going to look over uh, Gordon Stratton's first year in the Champions League as Celtic manager. But we felt with uh, all of the news coming out of Celtic Park in the last few days that we had to res- return to normal uh, broadcasting duties. And uh, I think there's only one really place to start, James. It was obviously the news came out on Friday in a relatively low-key manner. It has to be said that Peter Lawwell, former chief executive at Celtic for you know best part of 18 years, would be making his return to the club. Some argued he didn't actually ever really leave um, 100%. But he would be returning to the club in, uh, and I quote, non-executive chairman capacity, um, whatever that is. Um, maybe he'll be able to enlighten us what that actually means. But um, there's no denying massive figure at Celtic the last, you know, best part of two decades. He's obviously been chief executive during a very successful period in the club's history, but that's only one part of the story. And for many within the support, he's still a, a quite a divisive figure. And uh, his return has not been universally welcomed uh, by the support. Uh, what's your thoughts um, on the news itself? the way it was made, and um, what you think this will mean for the club going forward? Well, it's, it's dreadful. It's dreadful news. Um, and I, I can't understand that so many people seem to be playing down the possible significance of it. If this was anybody else, anybody else at the club who had simply been shuffled from one position to another, I don't think the concerns would be so great. But the idea that someone like Peter Lowell, whose last 10 years in the job, were characterised by constant interference in issues 
for which he had no purview or responsibility, the idea that he will sit in an emeritus position and not involve himself in the day-to-day run of the club in any way, in particular as he's number two guy, when he was CEO, is now the CEO, I think it's ridiculous. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't believe that anyone genuinely thinks that there will be no interference, that this guy, now he's in the allegedly the most important position at the club, won't act as if he's at the most important position at the club. I can't believe anyone believes that. I think that's one of the one of the big sort of sticking points, Stephen, that a lot of fans have got on this. And you know, I've, I've tried to, you know, you try and think of it. If you know, if, if someone changes job, you know, and but in, in our own lines of work, and perhaps um, a long-serving <coughs> um, team member is uh, or an important person moves on, but then someone else obviously takes over that role naturally. Um, but if that person who had originally left was then to return. It's, it's human nature, I fear, that, you know, naturally that's where if, if things go wrong, perhaps further down the line, that there will be people at that board. And we have to say, there's not really been, the, the Celtic board is still the same collection of people, roughly as what it was and it has been for a long time. It's not exactly a, a very diverse group of people running the club. And do you, one of my big worries, somewhat to James, is I think that the, the, the old ways... Could, could come back. Yes, I accept he's not in the chief executive position, but he's still in the building. And whether it be executive or non-executive, being the chairman of the board comes with uh, a bit of stature. And perhaps it could be the return of the ego. I mean, to be fair, like, what James said, there's a 100% right. Like Michael, Michael Nicholson, if we're all led to believe, was his kind of prodigy. And he's kind of brung her through the ranks of senior authority for Celtic. And now he's the chief executive or CEO. And now you see um, Peter Law returning as chairman. I think we're all a bit naive to think that he ever left Celtic Football Club. I think he was still there in, in regards to the European side of things and on the, on the ECA board and representing Celtic, obviously, in the EFN FIFA terms. But it's for me, it's shambolic. I know there's a lot of people making out the... The, the wording of obviously the non-executive uh, chairman and stuff. He kind of just oversees meetings and that type of thing. But you have to be you have to be real with yourself. He he will have influence over Mark Lawwell, his own son. He will have an influence on Michael Nicholson as well. Like these guys will lean on him for experience and whatever he says probably will go at points. And the boardroom as well was led by Peter Lawwell for ten plus years in, in, in the in the position he held at Celtic football, football Club. It, it frightens me. Like you, you hear the the stories being leaked and about like players rejecting contracts, saying they were promised better terms than they performed in their first season. They would get another deal with better, obviously, wages and stuff. Two of our, our high-profile players have been led to believe they reject them contracts. And you, you don't know who's the, who's behind these figures and who's behind these negotiations. Is Lowell have, having something to do with that? And I know Hans Postacoglu said he was in, instrumental in bringing him to the club, but again... We were led to believe it was a love in between him and Dominic Mackay that led Postacoglu to the club and Dominic Mackay had a, an overseeing eye in Japan when he was working over there in some capacity um, for rugby. But I just, I think for, for me myself, this is a backward step. I, I was so happy with the direction we were going in. And yeah, I pointed out to it before, Mark Lawwell, yeah, it's his son, Michael Nicholson, but in their own right, in their own capacity on their jobs, they've done quite well. The fact that we know Mark Lowell is overseeing a scouting group which is looking at Asia, Dubai, all the Middle Eastern countries. We know Michael Nicholson is instrumental behind it, the early transfer deals that we see already happening. And then you get hit with a hammer blow that Peter Lowell is going to sneak back in like nothing 
went wrong in his previous tenure. Like we all know what happened with Brendan Rogers. We know he was getting involved in the first team affairs. He was getting a bit too ahead of himself. And that's not be that, that's not beat around the boost. As a businessman, hundred percent he's credible. But when he separates that from what he does off the field and protecting Celtic's finances to getting involved with on the field matters, then that's where the waters get murky for me. And we all know Postacoglu left Australia because he wasn't wasn't liking what was happening at the top down. And that's my biggest concern. If that happens in, in years to come, because you're always going to get a manager saying, I'm happy he's coming in as a chairman. I'm happy he, he's back or whatever. But years down the line can lead to crumble in that relationship. Can One word or one kind of move by Peter Lowell could lead to going all the way down the tubes. And I've seen a lot of, obviously, back and forth on social media. And you do get involved and you, you do read a bit. <clears throat> I know John, he's in the comments. He's very vocal about the points saying, it's a non-executive executive tournament, but there's no way a man who held influence over Celtic for 15 plus years is coming in as like an advisory capacity. He's there to make changes. He's there to oversee what's happening and he won't be silent in my opinion. And before I move on, I do want to come to some of the comments here because there's a couple of comments flying in. There's one for you, uh, James, if you want to address it. Uh, Frank Kennedy says, what does James think of his, his mate, Keith Jackass, with Jackson calling us entitled Celtic fans because we criticise Lowell? What, what did you make of that article? Well, I wrote about that this morning. Um, I've heard Lowell use similar language. I, I mean, Keith Jackson's not smart enough to have drawn that conclusion on his own that that's what Lowell was talking about when he said, we'll get a hard time from these people because we get hurt or what we are. We play by different rules or we're judged by different stuff. Whatever it was he said... Jackson is too stupid to draw his own inference from that. So I'm sure that Law made it quite clear that he was talking about the Celtic fans being the ones who did the judging. Because Law has expressed that exact same sentiment to me. I mean, he was talking one day. I mean, it was completely unsolicited. He started going on about the Rangers board and how the Rangers board gets such a hard time for their supporters. And he says and all the board does is lie to them and let them down and all that. And us, we kind of catch a break. Every mistake we make, gets highlighted by guys like yourself. I'm like, that's fucking bad. You know what I mean? That's the job. That's, that's we ain't then. We ain't then. They went yeah, I'm, last time because they refused to ask questions and they refused to hold the board to account. That's never going to be us. We are never yeah. going to be like that. And he, it's, it's interesting. He always resented that. That wasn't Jackson that said that. That was low. I believed that that was Lowell's sentiment. Yeah, it's interesting already. He's, he's already uh, pen pushing with certain journalists, isn't it? I, I mean, yeah. as, as I said, <coughs> John's coming in here. Don't be bringing me into this. I'm not, <coughs> not arguing my points. I'm just going by what people can see on Twitter, John. You, you're very oh, vocal about it. He'll be making his long-awaited return. I'm sure. In fairness to John, and I'm sure he's not the only one who's got, or got who's shares his views on it. And, you know, John's John's... But what I could gather in the group chat was more a let's sort of let's reserve judgment and, and wait and see. And that's fair enough, uh, Franco. Um, so I'm going to come to you. I'm, I'm aware that it's, um, you know, Celtic's a, a big family. We, we don't all uh, speak with the one voice. So I'm leaving up to you. I don't know what your your own views are on it. But um, is, there, is there anything you, you can sort of counter with it in the interest of fairness? I suppose in the interest of fairness, you've kind of got to say, well, let's see what he does. But yeah, we, we know what he has done in the past. Unfortunately, he's not coming as an unknown. We know what he's done. Yeah, he's done plenty good, but he's done plenty bad. Like Stephen said, he was a good businessman. I don't, I, I hate compared to old transfers, but 
Stephen Fletcher, John McGinnon, Ivan Tony are only good business moves, whatever way you look about it. And I think the combined, free, like, I think it was about one and a half million over the free transfers cost us the free transfers. Which is, I mean, Ivan Tony was in the building and we haggled their 900 grand. It's ridiculous. So, from a business point of view, that's not good. And I think, obviously, that was like, latterly, Peter Lowell, it just, it just turned into a de facto director of football and stuff. And it was like, he was bringing players in, like, the right was on the wall, like when Brendan Rogers, arguably our biggest manager, high profile manager since Martin O'Neill, and especially at the time, one of the biggest high profile managers in British football at the time, granted Ross has nailed it before that Red Rogers needed Celtic as much as Celtic needed a Rogers. But when Rogers is coming going with the Marion Shred one, that famous statement going, I've never seen the guy play. Uh, it's not like we've got enough wingers already in that. It's like You've got to start asking quite like, I know, I, maybe the cynic in me is saying it's the non-executive role. Is that maybe Celtic try to just put that in there to appease the fans a wee bit? Just, I'll say it's non-executive, but like you've said, he was just, he was literally the, the top dog at Celtic. He's not got to come in and not have an influence. I mean, I'm a, of probably of the type that as long as everything's on the park, I kind of excuse a lot at board level to go. Rightly or wrongly, it's it's one of them I kind of didn't pay attention to it a lot, but when it's somebody like Lol who I done a lot of good over his 18 year, but in the last sort of 10 years of that it was just hung around too long. Maybe maybe should have got out with yeah another officially left the building so to speak. But we knew he kept he was keeping that position on the board at board level for the European thing and that I think everybody was on board with that in the sense that within Europe we've got a voice so to speak at, at boardroom level and the fact that they didn't even answer the question at the AGM and stuff they obviously knew then that I mean obviously these chairman and positions like that within the club only made in a two weeks build they obviously knew back when the AGM they'd obviously had discussions and that was always got to be the plan but to not even do it then drop it the same day you announce a signing and things like that I think they just tried to try to hide it in there it's I'm, I'm not necessarily worried right now. I'm, I'm more going to try and go down the route of let's see what happens. Let's see what influence has. But again, that could be way too late because I'm sitting going, but let's see what it does. Then maybe six months, 12 months in the line, we're gone. Everybody's gone. We told you so. We told you so. So it's, I'm, f I'm trying to be, I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but it's hard when you know what he's been up to in the, what, like some of the stuff he's done in the past. Well, well, that's that's the thing, James. A lot of people, uh, these defenders, will always say, even in Grandad Tomlinson, um, the the his supporters will always look at, you know, the the, the monies he's that he, that he generated for the club, and some of them you, you absolutely do have to take your hat off. You know, the, the the Nike deal, the New Balance deal, even the you know record breaking deal with Adidas as well. Seven year sponsorship with Daffabet that brought in record revenues. I don't think. I think even his biggest detractors would say that as in terms of a financial acumen, in terms of getting deals done in that sense, you always you, you have to put that definitely in his, in his pro column, shall we say. But one of the, the sort of aims that frustrates me with him is is he, they always say he'd done a, a fantastic job over the 18 years. I, I tend to say he'd done a job. He'd done two jobs for a very long time, which is isn't quite the same thing and for me 
in terms of the Celtic support, as, as Franco says, as a lot of them will be quite happy provided everything on the park is okay. But and I don't want to paint like a sort of doomsday scenario here, but it's it wouldn't be the first time, as, as Francis alluded to as well, with regards to Brendan Rodgers, where these high-profile managers who have been very successful when left to just go on with their job, um, mm. Brendan being one of them, uh, absolutely one of them, Gordon Strachan, even to an extent as well. Ange has made a lot of realistic demands at Celtic and they've all been met by Michael Nicholson and uh, the rest of the board at the moment. Can you foresee an instance in the next transfer window or two where the next level of signing is Ange makes a pitch for a, a, a proper upgrade? Now he's, he's if we win, hopefully win this league championship. But if he really <coughs> wants to make an impact in Europe, he needs to not break the bank, but what shall we say, make a a major purchase? Do you think think that is now going to be more difficult with Peter Lovell in the building? In a word, yes, yes, definitely. Um, I've, I've been thinking about this for the last for the last week, and I'm and I'm sort of in the midst of writing a, a, a huge article about it. And I don't know whether I'm really writing about the board or whether I'm writing about Law himself. But and if, if I've got some of these facts wrong, I'm going to shoot the researcher right. I don't think so. <laughs> um, the way I see it, we, we've got four phases of modern Celtic here, right? Two before they arrived, and two after. The first one was Fergus. Fergus did all, as far as I'm concerned, the groundwork for modern Celtic was laid by Fergus McCann. This board has had no impact at all on building on what Fergus did. Because Fergus built the stadium, Fergus started to work on the training ground, Fergus established the season ticket culture. And our income at that time regularly reached 80 million, 70 million, 80 million, 90 million per season when Fergus was there and when Fergus was running the show. Then you had the Martin O'Neill phase. Now, Martin had won a treble and a double, and we got to a European final before Lawl arrived. So Lawl gets the credit for the trophy haul. The 29 trophies in 17 years, that was getting banged loudly over the weekend. Banged loudly. There were 51 trophies up for grabs in that time frame. We won 29 of them. That is about what you would expect the dominant team in a two-horse race to win over that period. Except that for six years of that period, there was no challenger in the league. So you have to wonder if we underachieved during that time rather than overachieved. I do know this. Before they went out of business, according to my researcher, mm. we won nine trophies in Long's first eight years. They won ten, and they reached a European final in that time. And we know now that they did it by cheating. We know the EBT scheme was there. We know the SFA knew about it. And Log's biggest responsibility in phase four, which started when they went out of business and the new court crawled out of their grave, was to hold them to account for that, to make sure the trophies were stripped, to reform the SFA and get us justice and bring in domestic financial fair play. And by every measure, he failed. By every one of them. A doped, financially doped Ibrooks team has now won another title and reached another European final on the back of it. All while he was in charge. It's incredible to me that anybody defends that record. It's incredible. You have to not understand the record to defend it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, it's definitely... His, his failures at SFA level, where he where does have... Where he, well, he supposedly 
here that he holds significant influence, it would um, it would appear not to be the case. And that was another thing going back to uh, um, what James is saying as well, where Stephen, with regards to the whole, you know, five way agreement thing and what the 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 legislation that allowed Rangers to to you know the, the new Rangers to perform in the league, um, sh shall we say, Pierre Lawwell de denied. At a Celtic shareholder AGM of ever seen that agreement. Now that that means one of two things because it can't mean both. It means he's either openly lied to shareholders at an AGM, which I think borders basically like goes a bit against the legal uh, terms, and then or he's the most ineptitude chief executive that you could ever hope to have. It's it because if you're the the main the top dog at the other clubs, that said club's rivals, and he's trying to, with a straight face, say that he's not, not seen anything that allowed Rangers to come back into the league. Now, that's, yeah, except that that's further away than just that Celtic, but it affected Celtic, and it affected Celtic negatively financially as well. So it's another, it's another argument that goes against him for me. Yeah, I mean, just the Stubbsy horse here gets aims on every week. We wish we could. <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable, unbelievable way to put that across. I mean, say, say to be fair, like if, if I was the chairman of Sadly Football Club, and I've said this before, I would have done everything in my power to make sure they stayed away. After what they've done, after what the, the crimes they committed in terms of a football sense, and we already know they're under investigation by FFP at the minute. And then they're getting fined £10 million by Hummel for not releasing uh, kit figures or kit sales. So they're still at it. They're still doping the finances in some sort of way. And they continue to get away, get away with it because no one has the balls in Scotland to hold them in contempt or hold them up against justice because it all falls apart when their name gets wiped out of Scottish football. For me, Peter Lowell um, absolutely shit the bed in that one. He fought money signs. He fought we needed Rangers to make money. He fought Celtic needed a strong Rangers to... To, to make money and kind of prosper in the future when it's not the case. It really isn't the case. You get punished for the crimes you commit. Gretna, to a lesser extent, went into administration. And I, oh, this is my example. They get popped out. They didn't get no choice to get uh, back into the third division. They're called Gretna 08 now, playing in the Lowland Leagues. Do you know what I mean? That's the way Rangers should have been for me. And it's this whole thing about stripping the titles, I get what James is saying because... I'm not wanting them to strip the titles and hand them to us. I just want them abolished from the record. Mm -hmm. Abolished from the record because they got them unfairly. It's a sportsmanship game. They didn't cohere to the sportsmanship rules, obviously. And then obviously they had to have bigger advantages. And it, it actually angers me that they got to another European final but after they've reformed as a club. And we still haven't even touched there in Europe. And it's that annoys me. It really grates me, to be honest. And Peter Law is a big part of that. He, he made our club stand still when we could have been 10 feet, ten steps ahead of them at every opportunity since they've been back in our league. And he, you look at Ange Postacoglu, what's he always been saying to us? He can't stand still. You can't stand still. We have to be active, proactive, reactive. What if that all stops now? What if that stops because we've got a chairman back again who's a bit more cautious, a bit more wait and see what happens with the other side, a bit more reactive instead of being proactive? That frightens me because if we start to lose footing in what we're doing now, and we've seen the finances, and I know they're still in trouble, but we've seen the whole finances in terms of revenue and stuff. They're catching up. So that won't be a, that won't be an, an argument in years to come. We should be straight ahead. We should be taking advantage of what we the small, slim opportunity we have now to be to get further ahead. We really should. We stalled and stalled for years, and that was under the mismanagement of Lawwell. 
And you, you looked at what happened in the COVID season. You really seen his true colours, the way he treated us as supporters, like gating the fans. Imagine doing that to your supporters who pay week in, week out, who don't have the best of jobs, who spend their money on season tickets, merchandise for kids and family. Uh, we'll get them out because they're protesting. That's an absolute shambles. And then you look at the the, the, the statement they released, and it looked like he was on their gunpoint, all scripted. And he made Scott Brown do the exact same thing during that season. It was a disgrace. And to have him anywhere back near a club, I think it's a kick in the face to some supporters. And I know, as I said, if he could separate what he, the businessman from t- being a, like a, one of them guys who wants to go further ahead in his career and try and take over uh, on the field matters, I could deal with that. If he stuck to his business kind of agenda, the way Christopher Mackay is now, the financial director, he was kind of brought in to do that job. Then he slowly and slowly got ahead of himself. And this whole non-executive thing is an argument for me. He's coming in with an influence. He's coming in with a, an authority figure. As Mark Lowell, his son, Michael Nicholson, who was his protege, they're going to listen to him. So get your heads out of the skies. Get your heads out of, out of whatever, out of your hole. This man's coming in to ha- have a hole over us again, and it's absolutely disgraceful. As always, Stephen, never holding back with your good <laughs> self. Let it all out. This is, this, is, this is your safe space, as we say. Um, Frank, Frank, Stephen makes a good point there in regards to, obviously, the family connections with, with, um, with his son, but talking specifically about Michael Nicholson here, obviously, there was the... I don't think there's only one way to describe it than fiasco um, with with Dominic Mackay, and um, obviously Michael Nicholson came in. He'd been on the board before. There was, there was a sort of another reshuffling of the deck, um, the same deck as it were. But I think even our most kind of high profile, like you know, the, the sort of biggest critics at Lawwell, and you know that the, the way the current board set up, we would still, of course, say that um, nobody can deny that since he's came in. Although we've, we've not heard much from him, if all he's been doing so far is signing the paperwork for the players that Ange wants and we're, we're having success on the back of that, then fair enough. But where do you see... But it, it wouldn't be human if you didn't think, well, the guy whose job I've now got is back in the building in some capacity. Do you see, foresee anything, what's it, for want of a better word, awkward, um, you know, at any of these meetings that, Peter's going to be cheering. I'd hope not. You, you talk because, like you say, Nicholson worked under underneath Law, then obviously taking over his job in on the face of it. it you can't argue, really argue with what Nicholson's done. It seems he's brought in everybody that Ange wants, or certainly done his his best to get guys in and things like that. And I'm, I'm like you as well. We like I don't even think I've heard Nicholson speak and. Well, things are going okay. I'm not interested in my CEO speaking. I'm not really interested in that. But where I'm understanding that chair, a chairman's kind of the PR guy. So Peter, that made plenty of people's ego. He just, I'm going to be like facing front and centre, so to speak. And obviously he'll come in with his, his ideas and the new ideas, probably not, because like he's only been at the building six months, really. And then, well, six to 18 months. He's not, he's not really, it's not fresh ideas. Nicholson's ideas are probably coming through Wall in a sense, but he's put his own interpretation on them while Wall is not around. Um, you kind of hope that his lad is his own, his own guy. Obviously, he was working with the Man City group and things, so you just never know. But then I suppose human nature's got to come in. He's got to listen to his dad at the end of the day. It's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of human nature. Your dad's maybe got to say jump and he's got to say how high, so to speak. It's 
I'm more going to try and try and be positive, but I, like is try to be positive about a guy that openly admitted he didn't look at any of the candidates he had in the draw. Like obviously, it's I appreciate that's a theoretical statement he's made. That we obviously don't, but he's obviously he's it said that there was candidates and can he had candidates there for the managerial job. It didn't didn't look at them and offered Lennon a job in the showers. Disgusting. Like, that's no how a big club acts. He didn't act like and since he's left, I think we've kind of acted like a big club. How we we seem to do our business quietly. I know obviously the World Cup, like the the Arthur Johnson one, and uh, the other boy we said it was it was out Pete there. But, I could be honest, it was kind of out there, and then suddenly it's they're in. It's you'd never hear anything for the manager and things like that. Like like Lennon was always good for getting you wee snippets saying I would hope to hear one in the door by the end of the week, and I can't really think of Ange kind of saying things like that. It's just they're in the door yeah. and that's it. And so I think that's good in the sense that you act like a bad club. You're no airing your dirty laundry, so it's, you're no getting embroiled in, in strip transfer sagas. But I, I'm more trying to be positive, Anthony, simple because everything's good on the part. Maybe I'm turning a blind eye at a wee bit. But it would, like, as I say, with guys like Mark Wallow and stuff, it's human nature. You've got to listen to your dad. But see, this is the thing. This is the thing that, that people should shouldn't underestimate as well. The times that Lowell had a chance to make us better, he appointed Neil Lennon. He brought back Gordon Strachan in some capacity. His his book his book of contacts has about three people in it, and it's Dermot Desmond, Neil Lennon, and Gordon Strachan. That's shambolic. And the well, fact that Brendan he's publicly Rod- come out that well, Brendan Rodgers is more D- Dermot Desmond. No, no, but I was meaning Dermot- obviously Brendan Rodgers got hundred million twice in two seasons. Aye, and yeah, exactly. It's, it's that. Yeah, but th- th- this is like he has no imagination. He's no outside thought from all his wee bucks that he's met in his life at Celtic Football Club. Like, imagine bringing back Gordon Strachan in an advisor capacity to, to us at the minute. Or imagine bringing back Neil Lennon for, for the second time and, and high bad it ends. And this, we don't have the to club go still. Because of Gordon Strachan, because he was employed by Dundee as well. Son. Aye, like, yeah, because yeah, yeah. he had dual, he had a dual job, yeah. and it ended up he was part time with us and part time with Dundee. It was, it was mental. <laughs> so we effectively got a loan of the Dundee chief executive to come to us and advise our board. And you, you look at it, Peter Lawwell, well, he was instrumental. He was instrumental because his son had a word in his ear. So, I mean, that, that's the only reason why. And, again, we're praising Lawwell Nicholson, but that's because they stick to their job. They stick yeah. to what they've been employed to do. Peter Lawwell got involved in outside business that did not concern him. And that's what the, the facts are. The Celtic supporters, and, and I get why some are saying he's good with the finances. 100% he is. We're not denying that he is. But what I have a gripe with is that people don't understand that the influence he had over Rogers. We lost a manager, as you said, Franny, who brought in record revenue two seasons in a row. Champions League football, and with Luke High left because he was fed up with what was going on in, in, in the boardroom. And he actually even said it in an interview that he was he, he wasn't happy with how the club was going. He wasn't going to get the finances he needed to take us to the next level. Why would not happen with Postacoli? Postacoli is probably easier to piss off than Rogers is, if, if we're honest. He left Australia in the World Cup because he was pissed off what was going on at the top of their their board or the the AFA, whatever they called over there. So let's not beat around the bush. If shit goes wrong. He'll be first at the door because he'd be like, I'm not dealing with that. I wasn't here to deal with him. I was here to deal with X, Y, and Z. Not Peter Lawwell coming in. Well, that, that's that's the thing. I mean, I, I, totally, I totally agree with you, Stephen, for, for what it's worth. And it's a, 
it's a subject, you know, we've been on it for 32 minutes already. We could easily do a full <laughs> show about it, no doubt. But of course, there are some uh, there is some universal good news that I'm sure we'll all agree on um com- coming up. But just to sort of round off the the latest debate about Lawwell, uh, Peter Lawwell, James, like we were saying, we, we, that's the sort of the worst case scenario with um, you know, if if, if Ange was to decide that this wasn't for him, considering that Ange has cleaned up a lot of the mess that Peter Lawwell and others left behind. So just to kind of round it off, um, kind of give us a, a best case scenario and a worst case scenario for um, for, for us as a club going forward under the chairmanship of, of Peter Lawwell. I'll give you the bad first, right? Because I want <laughs> to say something about his, 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 um, his managerial selection record that terrifies me, right? Really does, right? Um, Lennon twice, uh, Rogers, Ronnie Dyler, and Ange. Now, Lennon should never have got the job either time. Everybody, I think, now universally agrees on that. He was never qualified for it. He was never the right personality type for it. There were a million reasons, especially the second time, there were more reasons not to give him it than there were reasons to give him it. I cannot even comprehend what the thinking was behind it. Ronnie was supposed to come in as Lennon's assistant. And then when Lennon decided he wasn't wearing that and chucked it, we hired Ronnie anyway. And Ange, the one that he's getting the credit for right now. I look at the Ange appointment as, as the ultimate proof that Law is a maniac and Law should never be near a position of executive authority. It's like Ange, Ange has worked beyond our wildest dreams. But if the board had known the guy Ange was and the candidate Ange was, we would never have wasted time on Eddie Howe. So I believe that Ange was nothing but a last-ditch, who's in the contacts book, panicked, left-field appointment, where we did not know what we were getting. We did not properly understand what we were doing. We did it because time was running it and it had to be done. Now, the people who are congratulating Law for that should think about it the way I put it in a piece of rope this morning. If you and your other half were in Vegas and you walked up and found her at the card table betting the mortgage and the kids' fucking tuition fees and everything else on the last card and a Texas Hold'em hand, right? And that card came up. You might feel relieved and even elated in the hugger, but you would divorce her shortly thereafter forever taking a chance like that in the first place. And you certainly would never let her near any of that stuff again. So I can't believe that he's been congratulated for that because to me, that's insane. That guy took a wild, crazy, speculative gamble on our club because he asked his son who's available. His son said, well, there's two guys at the city group we could hire. One of them's Ronnie Dyler. The other's this guy, Ange Postacoglu. And that's that's what it was. I don't believe there was any blinding insight involved in it. They were the only two names that were available to us and we had already hired Ronnie. And so I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. I, I, it terrifies me that this guy may have an influence and picking a successor at some point. But there is an upside. You're right. There is an upside. Since Law left, the CEO job has changed. We now have a chief financial officer and a CEO, and they do different things. And the CEO is very low-key and very low-profile, and I've criticised him for that. But the more he does it, the more I think that maybe he's got the right idea. That a football CEO shouldn't be showy and shouldn't be on the TV all the time. The best front man for our club right now is the guy in the manager's job. He is doing fine at that. 
CEO doesn't need to be in the papers every week. If Law is non-executive chairman, sticks to the non-executive thing and chairs meetings and plays an emeritus role, and the way the system works right now, then it will work just fine. If he leaves everybody to get on with their jobs and is a figurehead, then it'll be great because it's working right now. It's working better than I have ever seen it working and better than I would ever have believed it would work with Michael Nicholson as the CEO and um, somebody standing alongside him as the chief financial officer and the football department gets to do whatever that thinks is right. It's great. As long as it gets left that way, it will be fine. And maybe, just maybe, the latter law years have slapped sense into a lot of people at Selic Park and have said, we can't run things like this anymore. One person can't have all this power and responsibility. We need to start delegating, we need to start dividing the, the club into various spheres of influence and let them get on with the job. And if that's the case and lessons have been learned, then we're fine. We're good. And it well, may here's be- hoping that the uh, the Lawwell era of chairmanship goes uh, in the good best case scenario like you just outlined there, James. Uh, fingers crossed anyway, because there's no doubt, uh, Franny, and as I say, that's... We're going to park Peter Lawwell for now, but no doubt we'll review it for the season because we've got other topics to get through, Stephen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but as we know, like, I totally agree, but it's, he's someone just with who he is and the manner it's been done. It's, it could demand it command a full show, but I thought that's going to be a, quite a hot topic. That's just some of the stuff we can universally get behind. Uh, brilliant, Frank. <laughs> um, <laughs> Francis, I'm going to come to you for this one. And it's just with regards to, we've kind of touched on it with regards to how things are at the club at the moment with um, our, well, I want to say January transfer activity, but it's more more a case of December, really, um, because <laughs> with this World Cup tournament being on, we've already got two new signings unveiled, we've got the official Twitter ticker tape all round it already. Um, Centre half, uh, Kobe Yashi and uh, Alistair Johnson. Thankfully not the former Secretary of State for Scotland, but um, he's a Canadian right-back. And um, he has come in for quite a hefty fee. I think it's believed to be about €4 million. Euros. Um, don't know what that is in sterling at the moment. It's a pretty fluctuating currency. But um, does this point at the moment, and hopefully it remains the case, like we said, that this is a club at the moment and a very good place and is well-drilled, well-oiled, well-organised, and just gets things done quietly without any fanfare. It is up and down. We've shown that, and it's shown like, once again how Anne's likes to work. He wants guys in Ellis because we've all said that he loves being on the training ground. That's where he gets his most enjoyment. So the earlier he can get the guys in, the better. I think it was well documented when we'd signed that Kobayashi or when it was getting coming out that he was going to come in in December. So I think the Japanese league finishes then. So Kenny helps in that and. Obviously, can't play until January because we obviously we can't register a guy until January. But essentially, can sign a boy any time in the year. It's there's just windows when you can register to play. So obviously, we're now back at training, I believe. Then going over to Portugal, so he might well be ready to go when we're going. I don't know when that uh, the Alistair Johnson boy will uh, join. I don't think I don't know if he'll get a wee break, obviously, because he's competing in the World Cup. But I think it, it again points to positive signs because obviously. You look at last January, like it was the biggest secret in the world that we were signing Maeda, Hatati and Adaguchi and they all came in on the one day and things like that. So it's good that we're getting business done earlier. You see there's other rumours we might we might touch on it, but I think it's shown signs of 
how a big club should act that you just get your business done quietly. Uh, like even seen like when the rumours kinda I think it was Fabrizio Romano kinda tweeted about it and then the next time that Alistair uh, Johnson boy was getting questions about it and he was like you just seen the smile on his face. So he obviously knew it was deal was pretty much done. But he was like still just being coy about it and stuff. And he was like, Oh, my phone's my phone's been blown up and stuff. And uh, it's, I'm excited, like look, I sit here profess to I've seen a minute of that Kobayashi playing, have seen some YouTube clips, and he looks looks a great player on that. And uh, obviously not seen a wee bit of Arthur Johnson, but paid more attention to his later games when we found out we were interested in him. So again, looks a player, but we'll we'll just have to wait and see. But I think the way what we've got to what can help us is the fact that Adeguchi and McCarthy aside, probably not be every every and signing has been a success. And obviously we got that guy in Benfica as well. Like the, I think it was maybe about a year ago we got him in the data sort of a guy. So not we're, we're being like most big clubs how we you look at players' data and seeing how if that player will fit into your system, so you need a guy today. That, like to do X, Y, Z, and you get a list of these based on data. So, in theory, the guys should fit straight into the system. It's just whether culture and things like that they can adapt. Because obviously, Kobayashi's coming over for for Asia. Which, if you look at the majority of Asian players, it looks no problem. But it's it's not always the case that it'll work like that. So, but it's it's exciting times ahead. I think providing. A previous topic doesn't get too involved. <laughs> well, well, here's hoping. And Stephen, um, speaking about the data guy, I know there's nobody on this uh, channel that loves a bit of data or a stats drop more than you. I'm sure there'll be another episode coming up very shortly. But um, in terms of it, used to like you know, forget about XG. It should be XS expected <laughs> signings. Uh, how many players do you think we could expect to bring in in January? Because although we've got two through the door already, as your favourite place. Twitter is uh, it's already rife with more rumours about more more incomings. Well, I think to be fair, one thing it does point to that Postacoglu is correct and he, he's always been up front with us saying it's going to be an aggressive strategy we use in the transfer market. And so far, every window he's done that and, and it's worked quite well. Because what used to annoy me, like Franny said before, you would get Lenny or former manager saying, oh, we've got something in the coming days or in the coming week. And you're like, ah, talking shit. Nothing usually happened apart from a, a last-ditch loan signing from England who didn't get a game for about four years. But, I mean, what, what's interesting, Alexa Kobayashi, when, when you look at him and, and his kind of profile, he's a young 22-year-old. He's played over 100 games senior level in Japan for, his, obviously, his clubs and the people he's represented. And there seems to be a trend with both of these signings. Kobayashi left-footed can ping a diagonal. Can, can ping at the if Mieta or Jad on the right. That looks to be a strong part of his game and taken out from the back. And then you look at Alistair Johnson, who started his career very much as a centre midfielder, drop back into wing back position, can play right back and can play centre back. So again, he's covering a lot of aspects of kind of utility players who can actually play multiple positions. And he can ping a plus. A lot of his Canada teammates and his manager said he's an absolute warrior. He'll run for you all day. He'll do everything, and he looks at he looks a decent fit, doesn't he? He looks strong. He's over six foot, decent build, and does that mean Nuralovich is uh, away? But I want to point another thing as well. Another player being talked about, Frank Afsha, the the Egyptian. He's twenty six from Al Ali. The Celtic are apparently talking to his representatives at the moment, looking like a, a loan deal at the moment with an option to buy in the summer. But it, it's it's interesting because I'm excited about these signings. And I mean, these are something different that we're not used to. It's different from the usual crap we were getting years previous where 
Do I mean like a Shane Duffy? And we're all kind of waxing lyrical about Moya and Lucy, regardless of what type of player they were. But these guys coming in, they're like completely unknown, and they take you big excitement. You want to see them on the pitch, and you, you look at Celtic's uh, strategy at the moment; it's working, and I hope it stays like that. And post the he said we have to be ready to let some of our players go. I think we can. We're probably going to get into it, but we can already imagine who's probably first on that list, Anthony. Well, well, that's that's the thing, James. Obviously, we have two right backs at the club already before Johnson signed. Uh, one came through the ranks and has absolutely seized his opportunity, broke into the national side as well, and Tony Ralston. Um, we also had an established Croatian international who's just about to play his trade in the quarterfinals of the tournament uh, this year in Josip Juranovic, who's maybe not quite hit the heights this season as he did last, but still an absolutely terrific player. And of course, in terms of all the Ange arrivals, um, he's probably been the one that's been sort of given the, the, the most headlines from the summer and just now with regards to a, a, a possible departure soon. Do you think that the, the outlay for Alistair Johnson su- suggests that Juranovic could be off in January? Or do you think he's probably still going to be around at least until the summer? Well, this is what Ange does. This is what Ange has done really well so far. Um, he said that the signing of the midfielders last January was because he knew players were leaving in the summer. Because he knew Tom was going to go on and he knew Rogic wanted to go and he wanted their replacements buried into the team. I think Juranovic probably will go in the summer. I think the club's probably taking a very cold-blooded decision with Juranovic. Because Juranovic is getting to the 28, he'll be 28 this his next birthday, he's getting to the age where you either sign him up and keep him here for the next four years and write off any possibility of getting a resale, or you do it now. You do it mm-hmm. in the summer while his stock is high after the World Cup. Um, and I think if there's genuine interest in Juranovic, he will go in the summer. But it won't be because Juranovic has forced a move or any of the nonsense that the press would like you to believe. It's because people at Celtic, including Ange, have taken a very dispassionate, cold-blooded decision and said, this is the optimal moment to move him on and bring in his replacement. But Ange is doubling down and isn't taking any chances. He's going to have Johnson here for the next six months and he'll evaluate Johnson, he'll evaluate Johnson's readiness to step into Juranovic's shoes. And if Juranovic... If Johnson doesn't cut it, then we'll keep Janovic in our six months or a year if we have to. That's clever. He's, he's, I'm just not going to make any mistakes. This guy's got a sus. Well, that, that's what I, the, the things as well. There's obviously things coming out that he's already thinking about his plans for the summer and next January as well. You know, he's, he really does live that headlight. You know, his he's, he's mantra of we never stop. That, that, that seems to be just how he manages a football club and as I say, fingers crossed, that's how he's allowed to do it for a long time yet because, like yourself, I don't really think I've seen Celtic in such a state of calm um, and from a position of strength as well. That's when you that's when you should be sort of doubling down and getting getting the sort of reinforcements in and hopefully come next summer we'll be ready to go and have another assault in the Champions League and hopefully we'll have a few more points on the board next year to merit the performances because I think 60-70% of what we were doing in the groups this year was great. It was just those fine margins that we were on the wrong side of. And maybe another summer and a little bit more experience, we could really make some, some inroads on it. Um, but speaking of big tournaments, uh, Stephen, I'll come back to you for this one. Um, I know that probably would have been a good idea 
um, for me to bring this up uh, last week, but I've got, but it was um, because a few of them obviously are now going home. But the the group stage of the World Cup finished on on Friday there, and uh, it was a clean sweep of Celts in the last sixteen. Obviously, a few of them have uh, been eliminated now um, in the knockout phase. But it's a great ode to, to all the all the respective nations that um, all the Celts managed to make it out of the groups. I mean, it brings more exposure to the club, doesn't it? I mean, it's not bad for what people call the Farmers League. And you have to also credit the likes of Dundee United and Hearts, who had players on that Australia side, who got through into, into that last 16, the likes of uh, uh, Riach or Biach at, at left-back and uh, Rounds at centre-back, who looks a decent player, and obviously our own Aaron Boy, who uh, he played well. I'll give him, he, he looked decent. But oh, again, yeah, close, re- close to that compliment. Reservations, my reservations <laughs> still remain at Celtic Forum. And Mieda for Japan. I think uh, some of the commentators were saying today, like for his work rate and his endeavour, they deserved that goal. And again, it was a poacher's effort. A lot of people say he can't play striker, but gets in the right positions more times than that. And he, he kind of snuck behind their their centre back and smacked it into the, the, the back of that. Although Juranovic got the last laugh and they got free and penalty kicks. And the good thing about Juranovic being there, and again, being cynical like James here, the value, you're thinking of money. You're thinking, of, how much is that uh, starting price going to be now? 15 million, you're talking? Because he's had a good, he's had a good, solid campaign for Croatia. I think he's played every minute of the World Cup for them, yeah, which is quite, quite, an, uh, quite, quite a, an achievement playing with Modric's and all them types of players and learning off them. So again, his value's gone up. And then Carter Vickers, although a bit disappointed he only got one game because that one game he played, he was absolutely fantastic and he, he, he marshaled that. Yeah, he marshaled that back four and he, he outmuscled everybody. I, I said that previously that the clip of him kind of just putting his back into the player. And the player behind was falling over because he couldn't handle the strength. And like it's it's a bit like why did he not get another one? I know he was he he liked Zimmerman and, and Ream at centre back, and I just think that failed the bits in, in their final game. But Carter Vickers done himself no harm. At least we're getting the back injury free back into the camp for the, the training camp and and Algar in Portugal. But yeah, good for the boys. Good for Alavich's transfer value. Good exposure for the league. Good bit of money for Celtic coming in. I think it's one point three million. They're going to be raking home from this tournament. So happy days. We could maybe cover Sevco's legal costs for the Australian tournament. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you never know. Might, might, might go into um, you know perhaps getting that main stand redeveloped. That's definitely mm-hmm. something I think we need to we need to start looking at now. Um, Francis, what about yourself? Obviously, we'll, we, you always like to pay a wee bit of extra attention when it's a Celtic player um, performing at these tournaments. But I, I think all of them um, have acquitted themselves brilliantly. I think they were they were all good. Like I thought, Aaron Moy looked. I, he was really impressive. I thought uh, in the Australian games, um, you're at, I'd never really due to work and things. Like that. I never actually seen a lot of the Croatia games. Far enough, the day was the first one I properly properly watched them. And uh, Juranovic and obviously Maeda gets a goal in there. I'd seen a couple of Japan games, and he was just typical Maeda and stuff. And um, I I missed. Seen USA's two games and missed the game that Carter Vickers played in because they work as well. So it was just, it was one of them. But I, it's like Stephen said, it's great exposure for the league. Like, I did get some of the Celtic fan base like, oh, I hope they didn't play and come back because like, then they're all getting injured. It's like, you know, that, like, we struggle to sell our league to higher profile players or players want to get to. Mm-hmm. But if you can say, look, we just had four guys at the World Cup and they actually qualified for those group stages. Mm-hmm. We've signed another guy. Played for every game for Canada, like it's it's that's maybe how I'm not sure it's how you got the, the the Canadian boy, but it's a selling thing. Go like 
this is not going to hamper your World Cup ch- chances. We're actually yeah. getting guys that have managed to break into the World Cup squad off the back of playing with us. So it's it's another selling point that you've got to try and try and do to get get maybe like you said, Anthony, to maybe go for that extra level players like maybe your six, seven, eight million pound players. You've got to have to go well. It's not going to affect your World Cup, or it's maybe got to break you in if you're like that jot of you. Maybe just just a level below to get into Portugal, but go got a chance because he did get called up and things but it's you've got to be proud of the the boys' efforts and that but I think like Stephen said there was plenty of, plenty of boys for Scotland in that Australian squad and Cammy Devlin your hands up to it like you've got to just tip your heart off to that guy never kicked that <laughs> minute he's managed to get bloody messages a thousand shares it he's managed to get messages a thousand careers ballsy what a legend that guy is what that's oh, impressive. Like, the fourth, imagine the being on the same pitch as someone who's one thousandth game. Yeah. But he wasn't. He? That's the thing, and he still got his jersey. He never <laughs> played a minute of the World Cup, and he's probably just got a collector's item that'll be worth millions in years to come. Hundred percent. He's. Uh, aye, it's one to treasures, shall we say? <laughs> but um, Stephen, uh, sorry, J- James. As much as we've been in, you know, at least enjoying the football side of uh, Qatar twenty two, um, you know, you know. Tri- uh, as best we can, you know, trying to you know take out and out of account all the some of the the less less nice stuff that's been going on with it. To you know, to put it mildly, it was always nice to see um, Ange back in action behind the behind in, fr- in front of the assembled media on Friday, talking all things Celtic. And um, obviously, it was it was relatively run of the mill, um, typical Ange style, until he was asked a question. <laughs> By the by, one of the, the journalists, he was asked about the new manager in Govan, and um, in wonderful put-down fashion, he said that it registered less importance than what he was having for his dinner the night. Have you ever heard as good a one-liner from a Celtic boss to dismiss ah, anything for coming across the Clyde? Absolutely fabulous! Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the kind of thing that Gordon Strachan had in his, in his toolbox, but never used. Yeah, it was a shame. Mm. Because I would have loved to have him pulling one of them. But uh, Ange Ange tells them this every other week. He doesn't want to talk about other clubs, doesn't care about other clubs, doesn't want to talk about what the fans were singing or what banners the fans had or any other. Just talk to me about the football, talk to me about Sally, that's all I care about. And they Mm -hmm. still ask him these ridiculous questions non stop. His answers are getting better. He must have rehearsed that one. It's, It's. Well, Francis, to, to, to coin a phrase from one of our uh, podcast teammates, of Ross, it was so delivered in such a nonchalant fashion. Um, it was just, I just thought it was the ultimate put down and it kind of just, it, it showed for as much as the Daily Record and all, all the other um, red, red top media are going to fawn over this guy um, who's, you know, been on a seven-game one-less streak with QPR. They're going to announce this as the second coming. It's just not even not even on Angie's radar. Oh, no, it was, like, it was a class answer. Like, the easy thing would have been is to give a diplomatic answer about it and say, oh, it'll be interesting to go head-to-head on it's He's an up-and-coming coach and that seems to be well respected. It'd have been, and it was one of the ones you'd have went, no, that's just the answer you were kind of expecting to make. It was mm. the it, the notepad, so to speak, the like the rule book. This is turn to this page, this is how you answer this question. But no, it just and typical answer uh, style, just a wee a wee joke chucked in there and it was 
Absolutely brilliant. I've even seen, I've not actually looked at the record, but I've seen a, a tweet for the record, and it's an article that they pen now saying was Anne's being disrespectful with his answer, and you're like, I think the, the question's disrespectful if you actually really want to look at it that way. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's why are you asking about Rangers? Now, Anne said obviously say he's not interested in what's going over, like, he, what's over the, the fence, so to speak, like your neighbour's fence. And that's, again, that's a great answer. I'm not calling Anne's a liar, but... I th- oh, they won't be bealing. Absolutely bealing. And uh, I'm not calling Angel alive, but I think he's obviously got to have a wee eye on what's happening at Rangers. I mean, it's what you do, but you just didn't put it, you just didn't make it public. And you put it in a fashion where you're like, well, I'm not caring what they're doing. And, and he's true in that as well. It doesn't matter. As long as he looks after Celtic and does as much as he can do, there's no much more he can do. And then at the end of the season, it's you were either better than Rangers or you weren't. And all he can do is look at Celtic and make them as good as they are and what will be will be. Can he influence any other any other team? But uh, it's it's mad how, like you say, a guy that was part of a, a coaching staff that won one trophy in nine, <laughs> went to QPR, uh, went to went to Aston Villa, then jumped ship straight away, then said he was so loyal and four weeks later came to Rangers. So I think we George on Love Island was more loyal than Michael. Do you know what I find interesting, right? And I, I just wanted to speak about this because it's funny. Have you noticed the level of respect the headlines Michael Beale's given compared to what Posta Colby was given when he first mm-hmm. came in to post the Celtic? Mm-hmm. It's mind-boggling. This is a this this is a guy, right? That, some of the headlines: Michael Beale fouls the least Ryan Kent two point Ryan Kent scores an absolute wonder goal in training. He's back. Kemar oh, Roof looks Kemar Roof looks regenerated under Michael Beal. It's like Morelos what is, is going on? Morelos is and then, in training. And then, oh, it's it's incredible. You, you look at it. This is a guy, right? And I like I've told you guys, Michael Beal, by the way, is a really good coach. We know he was the brains behind the Gerard operation. That lots of players have confirmed that, right? But this is a guy who's went to QPR, right? One good run. He won nine games, left them, I think, in a five-game winless streak, as Anthony said. Mm-hmm. And he was banging on about he was loyal. He didn't want to join Wolves, but I think he really shot the bed. Rangers come calling, and he gives it the usual. I had better financial opportunities, but I chose Rangers because it was... No, you didn't. You chose Rangers because you think it's an easy option to come up in front of your coaching career. Mm-hmm. When in reality, if 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 you're in that press conference and Posta Colby's sitting, he's probably fuming, being like, look at the respect you're giving this guy. And the shit yeah. I got when when I first oh, came in, like, remember the, mm-hmm. yeah. But do you remember the do you remember the whole situation when he played the first game against Hearts? One of the reporters like, well, oh, I'm pretty sure you haven't heard of Hearts or whatever it was. And he's like, yeah, I'm I, I'm not dead, mate. And I know who Hearts uh, Football Club are. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the type of shit that was thrown at Postecoglou. And Michael Bean's getting lauded like he's Pep Guardiola that he's going to come mm-hmm. up and make Glenn Kamara and Stephen Davis into Xavi and Iniesta. It's yeah, absolutely yeah. shambolic. So you does like the, the contrasting uh, sort of headlines how Juranovic and Jakimakis have turned down contract renewals, but no talk about 10 players that are out of contract at the end of the season at Rangers, including your Ryan Kent, your Morelos, your Kamara's top guys are out of contract at the end of the season. But uh, we, have to, we have to concern ourselves with guys with four years and they're left in their contract <laughs> knocking it back. So, it's the way it's back always back been, contract. guys, and I don't know about you guys, but. That's what always, whenever flag day or trophy day come around, it's it's things like that that just make it all the more sweeter. Um, mm-hmm. Just all, always being able to yeah. just turn a little smirk to ourselves and just remember 
you can print as much, you know, fanboy headlines as much as you want. The only thing that matters is the big silver cup. Um, and it's been an air trophy room a hell of a lot more than theirs in recent years. And uh, I touch wood, don't see any, anything changing anytime soon. Um, but yeah, welcome back to Glasgow, Michael. We're sure you'll enjoy the night. <laughs> and, um, that's in terms of the actual topics for tonight, boys. That's that's kind of us. But I thought I would finish with a quick um, agree to disagree. You know the the rules by now. Absolutely and shamelessly, not in any way ripped off from the the show on Lad Bible. Um, I'll just make a wee, a wee statement, and you can either pick one of four choices. You can either strongly agree or agree or disagree or strongly disagree. Um, I was actually quite hard pushed for finding um, a, a Celtic one night, so I thought I'd, I'd keep it uh, to the World Cup tournament. So my statement is this. The planned 48-team World Cup in 2026 will add nothing of value to an already over-bloated tournament and will only reduce the drama and shocks that we have seen so far at the likes of Qatar 22. I agree. I need to think about that because mm-hmm. because they were talking. Is it what was it? Nine, Sixteen groups of three. Uh, uh, something like that. I think they've still eye on the all out, Stephen. But I think that was one of the possibilities that were going to be that that was being yeah. talked about. And I think eventually you're going to have it be like all the the top two teams for every group going through, and then I think it's maybe like eight of the the, the the third. You know, the, the best to the eight, the third place yeah. teams as well. All go through. Well, the, it's similar to what happens at the Euros now, um, which it, it, it's just for me, it's just a money making exercise. It won't add. You've wow. seen some of the the shocks this year at, at Qatar twenty two in terms of you know the last minute goals that you know put some of the smaller nations through in the upsets and that. But if this was in twenty twenty six, you wouldn't have any of that because Germany would well, still have probably went through anyway. You know the reason why I agree is because FIFA or UEFA are never happy without tampering and an already okay tournament. They want more money. They want more exposure for advertisements. They want to have 60-minute games. They want to put chips in the footballs. They want to make everything robotic. They're taking the enjoyment from me out of football. The World Cup, yes, it's from Qatar. We talked about it last time. We don't agree with it for various reasons, obviously, but we spoke about that. But the fact is, you have across the Riga, Cameroon beating Brazil. So, I mean, all these types of nations. Japan beating the Germany, knowing they're going to go through. The, the excitement for the, them nations getting up and getting through their qualifying campaigns, getting put in the hard yards, getting in the World Cup and actually having a decent crack at the whip. But then obviously FIFA, well, a bit like the Super Cup, isn't it, for the, for the bigger nations to, to try and get them popped through in, in the top two and then have the, the, the third place fighting it out. It's just shambolic. Football for me, the soul is ripped out of it. The soul is gone. It's all money, money, money. It's all what can we push to the fans? What product can we push? What can we change to get more revenue? What can we seem to be more robotic? I mean, did you see the photo on Twitter of the footballs being charged? Did you ever think you would see that in your life? It's absolutely incredible to have all this type of... a game of fives now. Who brought the charge? It's, it's, it's a game of football between 11 men or women on a pitch. It's yep. shocking that it's this complicated now. Everything's the... the do you know what I mean? Everything's just... More, it's moronic. It is. It's shambolic and... Keep it how it is. And the whole two-year two year thing, we, we talked about that. Absolutely shambles too, isn't it? The, the way they want to change everything. It's, uh, I strongly agree with um, it wouldn't add anything. That's my take okay, on that so, you, so that's a strongly agree for Stephen. What about you, Franco? Yeah, I, I straw as much as it probably got to drink Scott, like Nature and Scotland getting there. And like if you increase the 
the team Scotland's got him a chance to get there. But I know I'd have to strongly agree because I, I, I mean, Stephen, I'm a massive international fans, but I love international tournaments. I love like the Euros. I love the World Cup. I love watching it and stuff. Um, but if you start putting more teams in it, it's just dragging it out longer. Um, it's making it a more. It's it's then easier for the bigger nations to get through because like to go to the Euros, arguably one of the hardest competitions to win because there's got good teams in the group stages. Like your Hollands and Germany's easily could go out in the group stages and stuff. But if and that's what makes it the thing about the World Cup, obviously, I think what's maybe got to... I mean, we're no sort of think like, obviously, the it's got to be financially driven, whether folk are against it or not. Faithful, if federations, unfortunately, maybe like your Scotland, um, the Irons, just other these nations, like Norway's and stuff that didn't qualify regularly, if they can see a way into it by giving... Not necessarily backhanders, but obviously I would imagine these FAs would have to sort of contribute financial money towards it and things like that. So I think Scotland and other nations like that didn't really qualify for it. Will go go for it because it will be well. It's making it. It's potentially making it easier for us to get to a World Cup. And then, as much as I'll enjoy it, Scotland, if they got there, it's it is diluting the competition when you start. It's meant to be the the pinnacle. So. It shouldn't be easy to get there. Like it should be hard to get to a World Cup, and then it should be hard to then win it once you get there. And then I think what's going to help FIFA's case, whether they need one or not, to actually make it bigger is this one in the winter where you've had your Japan's beating Germany, and um, your Cameroon beating Brazil, and that like Germany aren't really in a great place. So now Japan actually, I don't know, but they targeted the quarterfinals. They wanted to get there this year. Um, and they've targeted, I think they've targeted winning it by 2050 or something. So they're actually plans to win it. But I think the fact that it's in the winter where teams, teams then is like, they're just halfway through their season. I think that's what's helped with these shock results and stuff. So I think that will help FIFA's case to go and get more teams because they'll go, well, look, we can get many of the shocks, get many of the shocks. But it's like Steve said, it's purely got to be financial. If FIFA want it, it's going to happen at the end of the day. Uh, 100%. Yeah, I, I, I fear so for any definitely. And what about yourself, mm-hmm. James? What's your what's your thoughts on it? Well, I'm going to say strongly agree. Um, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's as they said, they're right. You, they just can't stop messing with stuff right now. You know that they, they seem to want to overcomplicate everything. The Nations League should have been killed at birth, and it's it's became this crazy mad system. But I've I've looked at it a hundred times and I still don't understand it. I'm See not <laughs> get what it is. There's, there's, there's talk that there's a there's a FIFA subcommittee that's studying the idea of having a stop clock and having a game last 60 minutes rather than 90 and just stopping the clock every time there's a stoppage. I mean, they, they, they've not got to be content till they've turned the game into something else. I mean, the Champions League reforms are, are, are my favourites. They are, they are so confusing and baffling and, and ridiculous. I mean, I, mean, well, I know like the Super League, we're calling it the Super League. And everybody around the table must have been like, that's a really good idea until somebody says, hey, I can come up with something better than that. And I read a UEFA official who actually defended the Champions League reforms on the incredible basis that it works in chess. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. 
The problem system in Tiddly Winks it gives 128 teams in the group stages. The Dancing Vega will try and push, uh, like take Shies out and you kick it in to speed up play. It's just, it's getting to the point where it's become, it's unrecognisable for the game that we've all kind of grown up loving. And you, you, of course, I accept pro, like, pro, I'm all for progress, provided it's not just for progress's sake um, or change. But I've, I, I just, I fail to see what will make it better. And I, of course, I take the point that it, it'll give the chance of uh, more, it'll increase the opportunity of Scotland being there. And of course, you know, that would, that would be great. But by the same point, if you're, if you're only there to make up numbers, then is it is it really worth it? But I'm sure that'll be for a, another time, boys. But in terms of tonight's show, that's as sort of as sort of a wrap, as they say. Um, you've enjoyed yourselves tonight. Yeah, been good. Been Love good. Them. Been good. And uh, it's been been great having your, your, yourself on, James. Uh, it's it's been too long, but um, you've enjoyed being back on the show. Yeah, I'll, I'll be on the show every time tomorrow, but. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm particularly pleased tonight that I've been spared the embarrassment of finishing last in the quiz. So that's <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was a very uh, seamless link into our, um, our promo for Friday night. Um, Stephen, I'll let you do it as a, as, a, as a captain of the ship, but um, just let the viewers know what's happening on Friday night. Well, we'll be doing our big World Cup quiz with the majority of us on, I think, bar John, and it's something to look forward to. A lot of beers, a lot of fun, a lot of just having a laugh. Big quiz, Anthony's doing it. We're all looking forward to it. Another extravaganza of us to have on Friday. And also, kind of point out, Monty's been giving me grief about my beer for some reason and about my hair. I really do not. I really do not give a shit, mate. To be honest, I'm happy with how it looks, and you can take the piss if you want. But that's grand. It's all good crack. Three sixty. Friday night, eight o'clock. Our World Cup quiz. Mister Anthony Dunn's hosting. That'll be a good crack. Everyone tune in, get a beer, get away, whatever. Be good. Can't wait. I'm uh, looking forward to it. It's still uh, still putting the finishing touches uh, together, but um, yeah, should be a good one for uh, for Friday night. And as I say, if anyone's um, if anyone's not been on the Celtic blog yet on Facebook, as uh, the um, the articles that it's a, a blog that, that James does um, the vast majority of the articles for. They're always great reads. I re- totally recommend um, anyone in the chat that's not done it yet. Um, <laughs> I totally recommend the, that you guys do it it's um, very worthwhile but in terms of tonight that's a wrap guys and um, it's, it's been great thanks again everybody for coming on and stay well and keep safe Hail help Hail help Hail help